Miss Kathy, you're going to have it light today, I think. <laughs> sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes not so much. Amen. Amen. Uh-oh, here comes the Lulu. <laughs> I asked her where she got her boots, and she said, from home. Ask a stupid question, and you get a firm answer. Amen? Wow. You know, this so far this year, uh, I've mentioned this phrase, I don't know how many times, but I've mentioned that before we can make disciples, we have to become disciples. But here's something I want to add to that, and that is this. In order to be a disciple, you've got to be about the business of making. So as you look in the mirror into your own life, are you making disciples? Well, one of the prerequisites for you to be, be a disciple is that you're making disciples. But something that we also need to know is before we start uh, taking on the task of making disciples, um, those new disciples have got to have a great place to go where they can learn, where they can grow, uh, where they can serve and where they can become effective disciples themselves. Having a great place to go doesn't necessarily guarantee that a believer will become a disciple because we have countless numbers of people in our churches today who are believers, but they're not disciples. True or false? But, Without a great place to go, we're pretty much guaranteed that believers won't become disciples. So what are you saying, Brother Bill? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that before we go out and make a bunch of brand new disciples, we've got to provide them a great place to go. In his book, Acts 29, by the way, there's only 28 Chapters in Acts, so it's a neat title. Acts 29, Terry Teckle writes this challenge to every one of us. Here's what he says. He says, imagine alcoholics, drug dealers, um, racists. Imagine criminals being transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, imagine politicians and judges and influential leaders taking a stand for things that are in the Word of God. Furthermore, he says, imagine hundreds, even thousands of people being saved in one single church service. Imagine the unimaginable. Then he goes on to say, it all happened in the book of Acts. And he says it can happen again if you are willing to pay the price. Greatness is a choice. Just do it. Greatness is a choice. Just do it. Say that with me. Greatness is a choice. Just do it. Friends, I believe that Terry's right. He's right. The books of, book of Acts tells us exactly how this first church started. 
It tells us how just a few sold-out disciples grew so vigorously that within 300 years, the entire Roman Empire had been converted to Christ and even the emperor himself become a Christian in 300 years. How in heaven's name is that possible? What was it that happened? Why did that happen? What was it that gave those few sold-out believers the strength, the enthusiasm, the unity to face incredible odds and severe persecution? How in the world did they win the hearts and lives of so many people? Well, just listen. Just listen to the secret of their impact as Acts chapter 2 tells us how people reacted to a sermon that Peter preached. Listen carefully. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 41. Listen to how they responded. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and would sell their possessions and goods and divide them among all to anyone who had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let us pray. Father, my only prayer this morning is that we see and realize that we are destined for greatness. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friend, you are destined for greatness as an individual believer and as part of this family of God here at Bethel. Destined for greatness. Did you hear those numerous characteristics of this first great church? I believe that when these secrets are employed right here, right here at Bethel, then there will be a great place for new believers to become disciples of Christ. But we've got to make sure we're a great place first. So I'm going to ask you seven questions this morning that will determine if Bethel is destined for greatness. Is Bethel destined to be a great church? First question. Is Bethel emphasizing the learning of God's word? For a church to become great, I got to tell you, they've got to emphasize the word of God. Did you hear it there in verse 42? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. They continued steadfastly in the word of God. Now, let me ask you, or let me tell you this. At present, about half the people who worship in this place come a little bit early, about one hour early, to study the Bible in Sunday morning small groups. About half of us 
come early to study the Bible in small group Bible study. So what does that mean? That means that only half of us are taking the first necessary step to becoming a great church. Only half of us are taking that first necessary step to becoming a great disciple of Christ. Friend, for any church to be great, for any church to be faithful, for that matter, we must be a studying church. We must be studying the Word of God. God has called us to invite people to accept Him as Lord, but also then to teach them what Jesus taught us. That's what we do in small groups. We just teach other people what Jesus has taught us. And if you're not coming, then you must not be aspiring to greatness because you must be perfectly satisfied where you're at. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Get this, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. You know, American churches have an especially bad problem. Too often, we've neglected one of our most basic responsibilities as a church. People of all ages, they hear the good news of Jesus. They accept Jesus as their Savior. They become part of His church. But all too often, churches fail to challenge them, get this, to truly become a disciple by learning the Word of God. If you're not learning the Word of God, you cannot be a disciple. Do you understand that? That didn't come from Brother Bill. That came from the Word of God. You may be a believer, but you can't be a disciple until you start digging in the Word of God. God's plan for building a great church is the learning of His Word. So, if you want to be a great disciple, if you want to be a part of building a great church, then you've got to learn more from God's Word than just what you get here in one hour. Did you hear that? One hour on Sunday morning ain't going to cut it for you. I'd love to believe that I'm such a great preacher, teacher, that I give you all you need to be a disciple in 30-minute sermon. But I know better. I know better. And I think you know better as well. So what happens? As a result, there are people, many of which may be in here, that don't know the difference between Matthew, Mark, Luke, then Larry, Curly, or Moe. They don't really know their word. They don't know what Jesus has taught them. They don't know what the will of God is for their life. Because they're not digging into the word of God. That's why I urgently emphasize uh, small groups. That's why I want to urgently emphasize to you this morning the importance of you being a part of a small group Bible study. So that you have more time to be in the Word of God. That's why I want to emphasize to you the importance of being here on Sunday night because on Sunday night, we dig a little bit deeper into the Word of God. On Wednesday mornings, if you have the opportunity, I invite you to come because we dig a little bit deeper into the Word of God. And you're going to grow thereby. But I want to tell you this. 
If you're not, if you're satisfied with coming for 30 minutes of Bible teaching every week, I want you to know you are cheating yourself of greatness. Furthermore, if you're only coming for 30 minutes on Sunday morning because that's the habit, you are cheating this church of greatness. Because God has a lot more to say to you than I can say to you in 30 minutes. Don't neglect the learning of God's word. So is Bethel destined to become a great church? Well, are we as a whole, as a whole, taking every opportunity given to us to grow in faith and learn from God's word? You have to answer that. Second question. Is Bethel experiencing vibrant fellowship? For a church to be great, its members must enjoy fellowship that's alive and energetic. People want to be a part of something that's alive. Would you want to be a part of something that's dead? No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because after a while, it starts stinking. Is that right? Same thing with the church. If you're a part of a dead church, eventually, it's going to start stinking to you. Amen? Verse 42 said, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. So what does that mean? We get together and have a, have a dinner every Sunday? Have a lot of fun? That's not what fellowship is. That's not what fellowship is. Fellowship means that we belong to one another. You belong to me, I belong to you. Furthermore, fellowship means that we jointly, that means all of us, we jointly participate in the goals and purposes that God has for us here at Bethel. Jointly participate. Jointly participate. All of us together participating in the goals that God has for us and the purposes that God has established for this church. It's fellowship that's going to cause you to roll out of bed on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or, or even a Wednesday morning. It's fellowship belonging to somebody else. Can you imagine how difficult it is to preach or teach to a crowd of maybe eight or nine? Doesn't happen very often, but from time to time it does. What does that say to me? What does that say to God? Out of the church family, only eight or nine had any desire to grow further. They were content where they were. It's fellowship. That's going to cause you to roll out of bed when others roll over to go to sleep again. And let me tell you this, friend. When you're not here, when you're not here because you belong to somebody else, others are affected negatively. When you're not here, somebody's being affected negatively. 
fellowship, the desire to meet with other believers, the desire to encourage one another, the desire to learn from our experiences, the desire to share in our victories, the desire to comfort one another in our setbacks. I can't speak for you, but mercy, I need that. I need you. You belong to me. I belong to you. I need you to be here. So is Bethel destined to greatness? Is Bethel destined to be a great church? Well, are we as a whole, are we as a whole jointly participating in the goals and purposes of God? You answer. Third question. Does Bethel include the Lord's Supper? Great churches always include the periodic observance of the Lord's Supper. Did you notice that verse 42 also says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and in the breaking of bread? That's what the breaking of bread is, the Lord's Supper. Now, if I took a poll of everybody in here, you probably would say, well, breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper wouldn't be one of the prerequisites to having a great church. But it is. Why is it? Because it's during the Lord's Supper that we focus on being alone with God. It's so vitally important because that's the time that we withdraw from our normal routine in our services and seek that quiet, soul-searching presence of God. We're alone with God, yet we're united together in our aloneness. That's so important. So, is Bethel destined to greatness? Are we destined to be a great church? Well, are we as a whole? Are we as a whole ascribing to God's master plan for building a great church that centers around Jesus being the center of our lives? You answer. Fourth question. Does Bethel stay in constant and consistent prayer? Great churches always make prayer a priority. On Sunday nights, we've begun to, to focus on and to pray through our prayer list. Friends, that is so important. To pray for the ministries of this body. To pray for the sick within this body. To pray for the sick in our community. To pray for our homebound. To pray for our soldiers. To pray for those who are lost. Prayer is pretty important. Verse 42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, first century Christians, they, they, didn't, they knew they didn't have the power to go out and do God's work. I mean, they were being persecuted for their faith. They knew they had to trust God for their strength. And think about this. Even someone as powerful as the Lord Jesus felt the need for constant and consistent prayer. Listen to what the Word says, a couple of examples. After he, one time he had dismissed the disciples, Jesus went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. On another occasion, uh, little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. Would you say children are pretty important to the Lord? 
I'd say. Again, Jesus went up on a mountainside, spent the whole night doing what? Praying. Friend, I want to tell you today that there is a need in this church for people to be committed to prayer. Here's the basic formula for you. No prayer amongst our members, no greatness for the church. Did you get that equation? No prayer amongst the members, no greatness for the church. Prayer happens to be pretty important. So is Bethel destined for greatness? Is Bethel destined to be a great church? Well, I'm urging all of you for greatness sake, for greatness sake to be here on Sunday nights when we all pray. For greatness sake, won't you come and pray? Prayer happens to be the cornerstone of a great church. So, is Bethel destined for greatness? You answer. Fifth question. Is Bethel acting on what they believe? Is Bethel acting on what they believe? Great churches see action. Verse 43 reads, uh, Then fear came upon every soul, and then many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Can I tell you that great things happen when God's people gather? Great things happen when God's people gather. In the beginning of Acts 2, it wasn't the perky personality of Peter that caused 3,000 souls to be saved. No, it was people that had gathered together in the name of the Lord. It was the power of the Holy Spirit of God moving working through the power of the Word of God. It was the Holy Spirit being applied to the lives of those people. And other people were seeing it. And 3,000 souls were saved that day. God's power, alive and well, working through the lives of people. It didn't stop that day at Pentecost. It, it worked today, too. He's at work in you right now. Because you're hearing these words and you're hearing them convict your own heart. That's the Holy Spirit of God who is speaking to you. It's not Bill Barlow. It is the Holy Spirit of God who is speaking to you. He's alive in you. He's alive in churches all over the world right now. Every corner of the globe, people are active in their faith. God's plan for building a great church is that we be people of action God's plan for building a great church is that our faith be active that we be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving yourselves right so is death Bethel destined for greatness 
Is this church destined to become a great church? Well, are we as a whole serving with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength? Are we doing that as a whole? You answer. You know, the opportunities to put your faith in action in this church family are endless. We make a joke about all the acronyms for the ministries we have. We have BYG, CIA, VBS, BMW, WMU. There's a mission trip to Guatemala. There's the Grow Outreach Ministry. There's the Faith in Action Week. And it goes on and on. Friend, if you really want to act on your faith, you can. If you really want to act on your faith, you can. If you choose to. Great churches see action. It's not just lip service. It's action. Next question. Does Bethel have a heart for giving and sharing? Great churches do. Great churches have members who love to give, who love to share what they have. Verses 44 and 45 tell us, Now all who believed were together. They were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods. They would sell their possessions and goods and divide them amongst each other. Whoever had need. They would sell what they had to provide for one another. I've heard people compare these verses to communism. But there's one huge difference. This is voluntary. They were doing this of their own accord. They were doing this because of the love of God. They were doing this because they loved one another. They would sell their possessions and goods and divide it amongst whoever had need. Are we willing to give and share? Think about this. In times of persecution, their care and their concern for those in need resulted in an outpouring of the love of God. That's amazing to me. I just so happen to think that that they believed what Jesus taught. They believed what Jesus taught and they put it into practice in their lives. Do you? Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke 6.38? Probably not because I didn't either. But Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Are you giving and sharing with those who are in need? Friends, we're all called to share. And we're all called to care. That's why we're here. 
I mentioned last week that if, if God's goal for us was only heaven, we wouldn't have need for churches because we'd already be in heaven. But we're here because God wants to use us to get others, to lead others to Christ. So is Bethel destined for greatness? Are we destined to be a great church? Well, are we as a whole ascribing to God's plan for a church that we be willing and sharing those things that we have, those things that He gave us to begin with, including a Savior that He gave us to share? You answer. Last question. Is Bethel filled with joy? Is Bethel filled with joy? Great churches are overflowing with joy. Verses 46 and 47 tell us that they continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and enjoying favor with all people. I want you to look at that phrase, gladness and simplicity of heart. That word gladness in the original language has great meaning. Gladness in our day means we put a smile on our face. But gladness in their day meant great joy. A feeling of extreme happiness. Does that describe you today? Because of Jesus, we can possess a, a, a joy that will never pass. A, a joy that doesn't come from financial security. We can enjoy a, have a joy that we possess from Jesus that doesn't have anything to do with relationships. We can have a joy from Jesus that doesn't have anything to do with things always going my way. No. Because happiness from things like that always fades away. But a joy that comes from a relationship with the Lord, now that just gets better and better and better all through my life. So how about you? A great church and great people, great disciples, are characterized by joy. When we're following God's plan and incorporating these seven characteristics into the body of this church and we're not looking at traditions of men anymore. Rather, we're looking at providing a place for new believers to become effective disciples. It's going to bring us some joy. Is Bethel destined for greatness? Are we destined to become a great church? Well, are we as a whole exhibiting a joyful heart that comes from a relationship with Jesus? In other words, do other people want what we got? Or do they say, I don't want none of that. If that's what being a disciple is all about, don't give me none of that. I've already got plenty of that. Or do they want what you got? A joy, an unsurpassing joy that comes from a relationship with God.
One day the mayor of a small city was driving around town and he noticed two city workers who were doing something kind of unusual. Along the side of Main Street, one man was digging a hole and another man was filling that hole back up. After watching them dig and fill several holes, the mayor went up, one, up to one of them and said, what in the world are you doing? And the first man said, sir, we work for the city planting trees. And usually there are three of us, one to dig the hole, one to plant the tree, one to cover it up. The guy that plants the trees called in sick today, but I want you to know that me and my partner would not stop. We're still going to do our job. We're here, and we're working hard anyway. Listen carefully. How easy it is to fall in the habit of just coming to church. No aspirations of greatness. How easy it is to just come to this place and attend worship. Just sing a few songs, pray a few prayers, give a few bucks, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm talking about. Friend, we can become so programmed, so programmed that just like those tree planters, we totally lose sight of the real meaning of why we're here. And if we do that, and we continue to do this, the end result will be that our relationships will be shallow, our walk with God is going to be in the very same place that it was last year. It will not have grown. Our lost friends and our lost fam family members are still dying without Jesus. New believers will come in one door and out the other. Brothers and sisters, we don't come here to just pass some time. We're not part of this family just to pass some time. Coming to this place is not our main objective, but you wouldn't know it sometimes. God have mercy on our souls. If we're just going through the motions. God have mercy. Our mission has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. And we must never lose sight of how urgent God's call is for us to urgently surrender every part of our lives to Him. Eternal consequences you're not going to get just a hand slap somebody else might not come to the Lord because you're just going through the motions our goal is not to just be regular on Sunday mornings it's far far more than that 
We're here to make a difference in a dying world. That's what disciples do. That's what churches are supposed to do, is make a difference in a dying world. Everything we do here ought to be motivated by the desire to see other people come into a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And if we don't have a sense of urgency about that, then God have mercy on us. If we don't have a sense of urgency about that, then we have missed the whole meaning of why we're here. So what's the answer? What's the answer to a church that's in dysfunction? What's the answer to loneliness and guilt? To those who have been pushed to, to the point of suicide? What's the answer to those with sex issues and stress issues? What about those that don't have a clue about life after death? What's the answer? What about people that don't have a clue about their purpose in life? Those people who are struggling with cancer and AIDS. Those people who are dealing with the aftermath of an abortion or drug abuse or alcohol abuse. What is the answer? Well, there is an answer. And that is that God loves you and has a plan for your life. He loves you, and he has a plan for your life. His desire is, is that you have a full and abundant life. So why don't more people experience that in their life? Because of sin. Sin has separated you from your God, Isaiah said. Sin has separated you from your God, and we're all sinners, and the price of sin is death. What is the answer? price has already been paid for God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us so what do I do well I realize that this is a free gift of God there's nothing I can do to work for it there's no amount of morality in my life that will earn it there's no amount of religion that's going to get it it's free and there's only one way, only one way to heaven. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the answer. And so, as Chad and I were talking about this morning, it boils all back down to a choice. It's up to you whether you want to aspire to greatness. It's up to you whether you want to accept this free gift of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's up to you. But I want you to know, while the choice is either to receive Christ or to reject Christ, to not decide is to reject Christ. So today, you're presented with another choice. A choice to get right and start aspiring to greatness. Don't cheat yourself or this church of greatness. Be willing to dig into the Word. 
why don't you start coming to Sunday nights? Why don't, more important than that, why don't you start coming to Sunday school? Small groups on Sunday morning where we dig into the Word and we actually converse back and forth and talk about those things that are going on in our lives. God has called you to learn His Word and you ain't getting enough if you're just coming on Sunday morning. Friend, that's the answer. But for somebody that doesn't know the Lord, the answer is Jesus. So if you don't have a relationship with God and you know it, Today will be your day that you can come and say, I want Jesus. I want to know the way, the truth, and the life. I want to know my Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that your word is so clear cut. I'm thankful, Lord, that your word tells us how to be great. Lord, it is your desire that we're all destined for greatness. But sadly, we don't submit to those things that make us great. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, if there's somebody here that needs to get right, if there's a believer who wants to be a disciple, but they realize that they, they've been aspiring for greatness, but they haven't been doing nothing to get great, they do that today. Let the mirror of your word shine on their hearts and convict them and speak to them in a way that only it can. And Lord, for that believer, or that child of God that, that wants more from this life, let them know that you've already given them an abundance. Are they faithfully using what you've given And Lord, for that person who doesn't understand that God has a plan for greatness for them, let them know that it was through Him, it was in Him, Jesus, that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. And that gives us an opportunity for all of us to become children of God. Lord, this is your decision time. Our prayer is that you would lead someone to make a decision that would honor you today, whether they come forward or not. But Lord, for that one who has never accepted Jesus as their Savior and Lord, today is a great day to do that because to not decide or to say, I'll do it next week, is to reject Jesus. Let that truth fall on a receptive heart today. In Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's all stand.